Hey, how you doing? This is Wade with Wade for Wireless. And welcome back for another episode of Wade for Wireless with all your wireless updates, news, and information. Just sit back and relax. Hey, how you doing? I hope you had a great week, a great weekend. And I hope wherever you're going today, because I know we travel a lot for work, I hope you have a good time wherever you're headed. So be smart, be safe, and pay attention. Okay, today, let's talk about 5G fixed wireless spectrum and why it matters. This is important to us because we are going to deploy it. We, the wireless industry, the wireless deployment teams, the wireless contractors, it is up to us to make a difference in this world. And don't worry I tie this into smart cities at the end. But first, I want to talk about why I'm excited about 5G and fixed wireless. However, I want to take a minute to thank my sponsors. Tower Tracker Pro, TowerTrackerPro.com, TowerTrackerPro.com. They have a software as a service that will help you through your closeout packages. That's right. They help you through your closeout packages by taking you through it step by step. The tower crew gets to walk through everything step-by-step, step, take the pictures in the order they have to, put them in the document, everything's automatic. They can upload it to the cloud. From the cloud, someone to the office can check it, look at it, and verify that the pictures look good, that the documentation is right, and it's not missing anything before it leaves. But they shouldn't be missing anything because it should walk them through step-by-step. Step. Therefore, the software will take care of all the problems so you only have to visit the site once. That's the real value. Visit the site once, get it done, no second visits, bam, puts it in the uh, format that the customer wants to see it in and you're done. Move on. Next, I want to thank Tower Safety and Instruction, which can be found at towersafety.com, towersafety.com. That's right, towersafety.com. It is a tower safety school that teaches safety, first aid, and drone training out in Phoenix, Arizona. But don't worry, if you can't go to them, they can come to you. And the other great thing is they now have online training at telltech-college.com. Tell, T-E-L-T-E-C-H-college.com. T-E-L-T-E-C-H-C-O-L-L-E-G-E.com. There... You can get your training online. You can buy ebooks about 5G LTE deployment in small cells. You can get drone training online. That is correct. Drone training that has been certified by unmanned aerial experts who help put it together. And you can get it along with all your tower and safety courses on there, as well as, sa as, well as first aid courses. It's really helpful. And it's building up, so hurry because they have... They're continuously adding classes, so hurry and get on there and see what they have, but then don't be afraid to go back on again and again because they continuously add classes, and it's fairly easy. It's, uh, you know, eat what you want. What would you say? Pay as you drink. <laughs> drink. <laughs> anyway, you can basically check the classes and you pay for each one. Is, uh, I think the way the structure is you just pay for the classes, you take it, but it's a good deal. It's pretty cool. The other thing is TechFecta, a tech consulting firm that produces consulting and papers for wireless solutions, smart city and IOT solutions, TechFecta, T-E-C-H-F-E-C-T-A.com, TechFecta. 
And there's also all my books. I have the 5G Deployment Plan, available in PDF, Kindle, and paperback. I also have the LTE Deployment Plan for small cells, CRAN, and DAS. Again, available on Amazon, PDF, and paperback. Get on there and check. They're all on the website at wade4wireless.com. Okay, now, I told you I'm excited to talk about 5G fixed spectrum and why it matters. So the first thing is, let me explain what fixed wireless is because it's uh, something that not everyone's used to. It's something that you think you don't know anything about, but you know a lot more about it if you've been in this industry for a while than you think you do. If you've ever worked with point-to-point microwave, that's a that's fixed wireless, really. It's backhaul, it's, it's point-to-point, and generally, in today's world especially, it's high bandwidth. You know, I was putting these in when we were connecting T1s, DS3s, and so on. And I remember, I'm going to tell you my old stories again, when I was deploying for uh, the library system of Maryland, the state of Maryland, it was called the Sailor Network, Sailor, S-A-I-L-E-R. And we put in an all Ethernet wireless back, well, I guess it wasn't all wireless, but it was an Ethernet wireless backhaul form. And at the time, I remember everyone laughing at us and thinking it was funny that, you know, we had 100 megabit per second link between these sites. And they're like, why, why would you use Ethernet? Everything's T1, everything's DS3. Well, who's laughing now? <laughs> now, this was, you got to remember, this was 15 years ago. That's when people thought it was just crazy not to put in DS3 lines or T1 lines. Now, who's putting in T1 lines? Maybe Sprint? No, nah, I think Sprint's pulling them. I'm just giving them a hard time. Anyway, um, the point is, fixed wireless is really a backhaul solution as we see it today, but it's going to be more than that. If uh, you know any internet service providers, they oftentimes use like the ISM band, which is 2.4 gig, 5.8 gig. They use that, which which is Wi-Fi, right? They use the Wi-Fi spectrum. They, def, they, they often use that to connect buildings up. It's a very cheap, effective way to roll out. And, you know, it works for the most part. You know, you have weather issues and other issues, but I got to tell you, it works generally. And I deployed quite a bit of that. Short hops, you could get it to a building. And you had what we call is microwave was point to point. And this was point to multipoint, point to multipoint. And the whole idea is that you have one access point that has like a panel. Let's say it has 120 degree signal facing out and you could put up multiple end units. And trust me, we did this for uh, uh, the CATS network in York, Pennsylvania, which was the Crispus Attics Technical Service? I, I'm trying to remember. But anyways, what it was, point to multi-point. And we connected a bunch of schools and libraries up in Pennsylvania. The point of that was that suddenly they went from dial-up or T1, and now they had like between 5 and 10 megabits per second. So with that, you know, you learn a lot. Uh, people expected a lot more than that. People did speed tests all the time. But the point was, at that time, it was something new, and it was a way to get five megabits per second of data to all these uh, remote locations, and it worked. You know what I mean? It worked. It was a reliable system. It worked pretty well. Now, we're going to the next stage of that with 5G, and the carriers are getting into this more and more. So when you think also of fixed wireless, you can think of fiber to the home, which was like Fios and Uverse, which is Verizon and AT&T. You can think of cable companies, and in my opinion, that's who I see as the biggest internet service provider because they're connected to every home and you can get a cable modem, right? I mean, that's what I have. I have Comcast and it works really well. You know, I give Comcast a hard time a lot of times, but the reality is 
it's it's pretty reliable. I'm only down three, four, five days a year. Uh, it does go down. I have no idea why. But it gives me good speeds, very reliable, and I'll take it. The odds are in my favor. I'm not complaining too much. I do complain about the price. I complain about the TV packages, you know, because, I mean, I don't watch half that crap. I don't watch a lot of TV anyway. But they have reliable internet service. I'm very happy with that. So now, with the likes of Verizon and AT&T, who tried fiber to the home, and so did Google. Google did fiber to the home, and now I think they discontinued the program, as is strange, but I hate. I never thought I'd see Google's a quitter. But anyway, I think they just sold the business model. I think the key guy left. Why he left is beyond me. But I think what happened was they realized how expensive it was and all the headaches that go along with it. You know, when you build software, people come to you if they like it, which, which Google did. And they did an outstanding job. However, when it came to running fiber to the home, I think they realized how hard it was. They tried attaching fiber to home. I'm sorry, fiber to poles as they ran their fiber lines down the street. And whoever owned the pole could protest. Or a lot of people, if they were the first fiber to the pole, would protest or the cable companies would protest. And there's a lot of rules and the leases of who can go on, who can't go on. You know, attaching to a pole isn't just attaching to a pole. You have to sign an agreement. You know, you got to pay a monthly fee. It's not free right? So then you could go underground, which a lot of companies do, you know, they bury it under the city. Well, let me tell you, if you're in town or a city, which is where most of the customers are, you know, it's easy access. When you go underground, you have to get permits, you have to dig up the pavement, you have to trench and so on's very expensive. It'd be nice if they had tunnels under the entire cities, which you do in some cities, you know, you can run it that way. Still very expensive, cost a lot of money, and then to run it to the homes or to the buildings, it's it's effort, it's work. It's not easy, cost a lot of money. So my point is, they found out that running fiber is very expensive, and a lot of cities have a dig once policy. I'm, I'm finding more and more about this now, that they want, if they're going to dig up their streets, and I get this, this makes a lot of sense to me, if they're going to dig up their streets, every freaking fiber company had better be in there to lay their fiber at the same time. That way they can cover it up and they don't have to dig it up what they're hoping for years. Because the reality is they'll dig up a street to lay the fiber. They'll dig up the street again, you know, a few months later because someone new wants to go in. They dig it again and again and again. And the streets are pretty much like crap. You're shutting down traffic all the time. And if you ever driven in that, you know, it sucks. So that's the thing. Now, if we can do a lot of this wirelessly, if we can run fiber to a pole outside a building, or outside a home and just point a panel at a bunch of homes and connect five or 10 homes up at one time, life is good. It's wireless. Who doesn't love wireless? Who doesn't love their smartphone? Honestly, you guys complain about it. You'll say, oh, it interrupts my life. It, it keeps me on edge. I'm, I'm always in touch with email. But yeah, you carry it. You look at it. You constantly lo- are looking for new apps, ways to improve your life. Now, imagine that Instead of the cable company coming to your house and hooking up all these connections, imagine you just put something in the window or an antenna on the roof or whatever it takes, and then you just have Wi-Fi through the house. It's wireless in, wireless out. You have wireless coming in from the street, and then you have wireless coming out into the house to feed everything. Because let's face it, most of you guys use Wi-Fi in your house anyway. Don't get me wrong. 
I still like to connect to the router to do things like this, like high broadband operations, but Wi-Fi works very well. My wife uses it. I use it. I like to wander around the house with my laptop, my Kindle, my smartphone. I like to have Wi-Fi in the house so my smartphone quits using the carrier's data, right? Most of us do, even though I know they say it's cheap and it's flat fee, we still prefer to be on Wi-Fi. We like Wi-Fi currently. I'm not saying there isn't new technology coming, but I'm saying in the home, dedicated Wi-Fi, I think it works really, really well. So that's my point uh, with this. Fixed wireless is going to be huge. The 5G spectrum is going to really add a lot. And I know I've rambled on about how great it is. So let me get off that high horse. And let me tell you about the spectrum. So I'm going to talk about the U.S. specifically here. However, 5gamericas.org has a document out. And I have the link in this blog. Uh, I think it might be worth your while. It's a free PDF. It's, uh, it's, it's in my blog. This blog will be called 5G Fixed Wireless Spectrum and Why It Matters. And the link is from the 5G Americas, and the document has some ridiculous name, but it's basically 5G spectrum recommendations. And it actually has for most of the world, but I'm focusing on the USA, United States of America, because quite frankly, that's where I do all my work. So what we have here in the US, what the FCC is proposing that we use here in the USA is 24 gigahertz band, which is going to be 24.25 to 24.45 gigahertz and 25.05 to 25.25 gigahertz. Now, for those of you paying attention, that's 200 megahertz of spectrum in each band, each, uh, each, each one of those groups. 200 megahertz of spectrum, which is pretty freaking awesome. 24 gigahertz is very limited. It isn't like you're going to like, like in one end of town, I could put up my link and another end of town, someone could put up their link and we would not interfere with each other at all in most cases. The other thing for local multi-point distribution service, LMDS, we have 27.5 to 28.35 gigahertz. Did you get that? 300 megahertz of spectrum, 27.5 to, oh, wait a minute. No, no, I'm wrong. 27.5 to 28.35 is 1.3 gigahertz of spectrum. They also have 29.1 to 29.25 gigahertz of spectrum, uh, gigahertz in that band, and 31 to 31.3. You know, I'll verify that, but I'm pretty sure that 27.5 to 28.35 is correct. That's a lot of spectrum. A lot of spectrum just for us to put something in for LMDS. 39 gigahertz band, 38.6 to 40 gigahertz, 37 and 42 gigahertz bands, 37.0 to 38.6 gigahertz, and 42 to 42.5 gigahertz. And in the 60 gigahertz band, they have 57 to 64 gigahertz and 64 to 71 gigahertz, both bands. And then the 70 to 80 gigahertz, 71 to 76 gigahertz, and 81 to 86 gigahertz, and 92 to 95 gigahertz. And I just read off a lot of numbers that end in gigahertz. So the point is, there's a crap load of spectrum, right? <laughs> That's my point. A lot of spectrum coming out. It's all very high, very short haul, very specific use, high data, broad bandwidth use. And they're coming out with point to multipoint units, which in theory means that you could have like a 180 degree panel and anything in front of that panel, you can connect multiple units to get a lot of bandwidth through. And in theory, it's going to compete with the cable companies. Now, 
or the internet service providers or anyone that bring like CenturyLink, it'll compete with them. Comcast, it'll compete with them. Suddenly you can run high speed, dedicated data, broadband to a home, to a business without worrying about all the cables, without worrying about what you're going to have to connect to inside or what you're going to have to run through the building or is it working right? You basically should have, and I'm going to call it a cable modem, even though it's not really a modem anymore, but you're going to have your cable modem, which is going to be a device like a smartphone that's going to give you broadband right to your building, right to your business, not in the likes of, of just, you know, one megahertz or 10 megahertz per, uh, bits per second, but more like 100 megabits per second to a gigabit per second. That's what we're looking for wirelessly. Is it going to work? I hope so, because if you think this isn't real, then why, why oh why would AT&T and Verizon have a bidding war over the company, let's see, what is it, StraightPath, the company StraightPath, who has a crap load of 38 gigahertz licenses. Now, who thought when they got all those 38 gigahertz licenses, it would be so valuable? They were probably thinking, ah, point-to-point links, we'll connect up a few buildings, we'll build a nice network. They don't have to anymore because they're going to sell the spectrum to either AT&T or Verizon or whoever else bids on it. Now, the carriers see this as valuable. The carriers see this as something that's real. The carriers are going to invest in this. The, the good thing about this is I'm hoping that more than the carriers can do this. I'm hoping that the rest of us can get licenses and connect people up and the small businesses have a shot at this. Unfortunately, when you listen to Verizon and, and AT&T, they'll have the end-all, beat-all solution, and they, they probably will. They'll probably dominate. I do look at it as a good thing, though, because it's new spectrum, it's a new way to connect, and it's going to be very competitive because now suddenly the cable company has to compete with these big carriers, these big behemoths that already have millions of wireless customers. They have millions of people. They have millions of contacts. You know, Comcast, I, I think here in the U.S. is probably the biggest cable company, probably the biggest internet service provider, and they have millions of contacts and millions of customers. And I would say those same customers also have smartphones with another carrier. So that carrier is, suddenly has a play to move into these Comcast customers and to compete head on. It's going to come down to price. It'll become a commodity eventually, but right now they have to come up with a solution. And again, it's just like fiber to the home. It's not everywhere. Not everyone has it. It's going to be hard to get it out there. They're going to have to roll it out. It's something to think about. By the way, don't forget about the Verizon XO deal. Verizon already bought a lot of this spectrum, 28 to 31 gigahertz and the 39 gigahertz spectrum. Through, or, well, I think they lease it. I don't think they actually own the licenses. I think they lease them, but they see value in it. Now, if you think it's just the two big boys, T-Mobile's getting in on the act because they've already tested with 38 gigahertz. And John Ledger, who, you know, if you ever listen to me, I really do admire what the guy's done at T-Mobile. You know, whether you love T-Mobile or hate T-Mobile or like John Ledger or hate him, guy's amazing. I mean, he grew them up. He crushed Sprint. He saw the weakness. He crushed them. And he's biting on the tails of AT&T. And I really think AT&T's nervous about this guy. I do. They can't buy him, right? They tried. The, uh... U.S. government would not allow that. I think the SEC, Securities Exchange Commission, would not allow that. And that's because that's I'm not a business guy. I'm sure if you ask any one of those guys, they'd know exactly why. I'm just telling you it was nixed. So 
I think this guy has a vision because I see interviews with him where he knows his next competitor is not going to be Verizon or AT&T. His next competitor is going to be the cable company in the local market. He knows that, that, that the way for the wireless carriers to grow and expand is to grab some of that internet service provider market to tackle on CenturyLink, Comcast, the other guys, bang, head on. He knows he's going to have to bash some heads. He's going to have to hurt some feelings, which is what he's really good at. Like I said, I admire the guy. <laughs> I think he's good at just making people think twice about their decisions. So with all that said, I see this as a real game changer moving forward. Now, unfortunately for the wireless carriers, they have to invest a lot of money to build up the infrastructure to do this. However, if they can get to Spectrum and they can start building up the devices and they can connect multiple homes without running cables to any of them, and if they can make the install easy, like when you think about your smartphone, when you first get it, you know, what does it take you? 15, 20 minutes to set it up? Takes you a little bit of time, but then you never have to do it again. And if you get another phone, you can import everything over to your old phone, which is really, really nice. You still have to set it up 10, 15 minutes. When you get your cable box, uh, and you have it at your home. I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I've never, ever, ever been able to plug and play. I have to call them up. I have to sit on hold. I have to walk through it. I have to figure out what I have to do. It's, it's very confusing. It's not easy. I have to learn. It's always some wacky, crazy remote I have to learn. And then I pay for a bunch of TV channels that I really don't want. You know, I, I really don't care about having a gazillion channels anymore. It just doesn't matter. So now what a lot of people are doing, they have Amazon, they have Netflix, they have Zulu. They're very focused on what they want to watch, how they want to watch it. And they hear word of mouth. They read blogs. Things are very different. The internet connects us. Live TV isn't a big deal except for sports. Sports is still huge. Sports is still key. And even with sports, I can watch out in my smartphone. I can watch out if I have an iPad, I can watch it there which sometimes I do. It's just convenient. Wherever I'm at, I can watch it because, you know, I don't, unfortunately, I don't schedule my day around a game unless it's you know, like uh, here in the U.S., the Super Bowl, American football. <laughs> That's a big deal. Anyway, my point is, I think cable companies are going to have a lot of competition. I think cable companies should be changing their models now. And I got to tell you, with my TV lineup, I don't see them doing it yet. It sort of sucks. I don't really get what I want to get. I get what they tell me I have to get. I have to get a package. It's still the old, you know, the old deal. They really haven't modified as much as they need to. Now, if you're, I know I'm, I'm really whining here about the TV, uh, the way the TV channels are, but how, my, how many of you watch live TV anymore? I mean, I mean, really watch it, really sit down to watch a show or do you record it in your DVR and watch it when you want to? Do you get on Netflix or on demand and watch it when you want to? Do you do you really sit through the commercials anymore? Do you fast forward through them? Do you really get on some of these these like Amazon or Netflix and say, boy, I hope a good commercial's coming up? Or do you get on and you binge watch? Like you sit down Saturday on a rainy Saturday afternoon and say, you know, I'll get three of these knocked out on your schedule. That's why I, I'm a little critical of live TV, although sports is still big. So anyway, I'm off the TV kick. Let's move on to the massive broadband. Massive broadband is going to be huge. We're all looking for it. We all want it. 
And we get it through the cable companies for the most part in our homes. However, our smartphones, you ever use your smartphone as a Wi-Fi hotspot? I do. I do it all the time because, quite frankly, I need it for work. Other than that, I've done it when I lost power because, you know, I have no power in the house. I've done it when I'm in a hotel room and the hotel Wi-Fi sucks. I've done it when I've traveled. I've done it in my car. I've done it to complete stuff mostly for work, but it's really convenient to have. So if the wireless carriers can make it cost effective, even though they have to invest a lot of money to build this out, a lot of the infrastructure is there. They have a lot of the fiber run. They have a lot of small cells out there, which they could easily, I think, in my head, they could probably add to it permitting and zoning, you know, if it allows it. I don't know what the boxes will be like, but I think it'll be a struggle. But I'm telling you, it's going to be a big thing. John Ledger sees it. He understands it. He sees the future. He pushed right into number three, and he's pushing into number two. He sees the future, and he sees it as a game changer. They're all very high spectrum, very short hops, but it's probably going to be a big deal, and it is going to change the face of how we get internet service to small business, to the homes, and maybe even to larger businesses. The enterprise is really going to appreciate this, like the smaller companies, 30, 40, 50 employees, maybe even hospitals to connect remote buildings, maybe even utilities to connect remote stations. Anyone's going to really appreciate this as long as it's cost effective. All right. Now, one thing that I love to bring up is a CBRS, which is 3.5 gigahertz, and that's going to really play a part in this because it's not going to be as much bandwidth, but they're already working on that to be near line of sight. So it doesn't have to be line of sight to the antenna. So if you only want 10 megabits per second or five megabits per second, maybe that's a spectrum you can roll out. It's going to be lightly licensed. Maybe you can carry or aggregate several of the license, uh, several of the, the, um, the channels to get them to work together. That would be awesome. Several carriers, they look like one big pipe. Everybody's happy. And if it's near line of sight, then you don't have to worry so much about having a clear line of sight to the target. Plus, I think 3.5 gig will uh, travel a little better. But I do. I think it's going to be a good thing. I think they'll probably use that in fixed wireless as much as mobile. I think it'll serve dual purpose, and I think it will be a solution. And again, lightly licensed mean, means to me that the carriers won't own all of it. You'll have your chance to actually participate in this. Now, to be fair, the 5G America's Spectrum document doesn't reference CBRS that much. They do reference as other bands of interest. They don't really, the way I perceive that document I read, they don't really perceive it as being a game changer for fixed wireless, but I do. I think it's going to help in the rural and urban areas where you have to do longer hops or you, you don't have line of sight or you're shooting through trees, things like that. I think that's where it's really going to make a change. And I put the quote in there that they did put a little bit about it. Now, I always spin smart cities into this lately because I've been on a smart city kick. So why does fixed wireless matter to smart cities? Well, I'm going to explain that. Uh, pardon me as I take a breath. But smart cities are going to rely on fixed wireless because they're tired of getting their streets dug up to run fiber. They want an alternative to fiber. Now, there's already a lot of fiber out there. There's fiber to most places, but they want to see a way to run it to small business without having to run fiber to a very small business that only needs like 50 megabits per second to really do a business. They don't want to run fiber to every small shop out there, like the hot dog stands, like the food trucks, like the, uh, the places that sell t-shirts out there. 
Why not come up with a fixed wireless solution where they can connect, they can have broadband, and then they can do online business as well as a business to their customers right there in the city all in the same shot. That's why city, a smart city will want to do this because smart cities know that broadband is key. They want broadband to every home because then every home can participate on an equal basis. Whether it's a standard upscale part of town or it's an underserved part of town, they want to bring them all to the same level. That way, the underserved part of towns have a real chance of learning, of participating in classes, online classes, and improving themselves, much like I do. I take a lot of online classes. I rely heavily to, to, on that to improve myself for a lot of different skills. I really think it's the best way to go. I really see it as a plus. So that's what the cities are going to want that. A lot of the cities, like I said, have a dig once policy, and it's going to allow business to prosper, to grow. And I heard a gentleman speak from California, from San Diego, saying about how California, especially Southern Cal, and he was speaking specifically about San Diego, about how it would improve business if they could streamline the creation of small business. Now, I'll tell you what, I started small business here in Pennsylvania. It's a little bit of work, but it, it's not super hard. It just takes time. It's tedious. Southern California, where my brother started several businesses, it is easier. They really promote small business. And I know everyone looks at California and said, oh, the cost of living is so high, this and that. But, you know, to be fair, I'm in Pennsylvania. If I lived in Philly or around Philly, if I lived even in Pittsburgh or around Pittsburgh, the cost of living would be very comparable to California. Now, my point there is the big cities, the cost of living is higher. Most like, like in California, it's very reasonable in most areas. But if I live near LA, San Diego, San Francisco, I'm trying to think of some other cities, Sacramento, uh, San Jose, those cities have a higher cost of living because you're living in the city, you're paying for a lot of the luxuries that come with the city. Same here, Philadelphia, New York, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, DC, Boston. If you live in those cities, the cost of living is a little higher, but you're getting a lot of, of luxuries. You're getting a lot of things you don't get outside the city. That's the deal, especially in New York City and Manhattan. It's very expensive to live there. That's, well, it's another note. But when, when, you, when you talk about the way you're going to tax people and you try to put it across the country at one, if you, you know, like um, I think it was Barack, President Barack Obama that said, well, what did he say? 250K was rich, which where I live, you know, you're well off. It's well over 250K in Manhattan. That's, you know, probably lower middle income class <laughs> if you make that much money you know it, and in LA too in downtown LA all depends where you live it, it's all relative you know based on the cost of living of that specific area San Francisco I, at one time was the most expensive place to live in America uh, it was very expensive very hard to really get by there and yet people live there it's a great place I've been there it's beautiful anyway I digress the smart city wants it because they understand that broadband is key to business growth. They understand that broadband will be used by more than just the major businesses or even the small businesses. It's going to be used by the newspaper stands. It's going to be used by the hot dog vendors. It's going to be used by food trucks. They're relying on their smartphones now, which they'll rely heavily for in the future. But if they want to do more business and grow, they're going to want some type of broadband service, which is a little beyond what a smartphone can provide. So I really think, I really believe that fixed wireless is going to be the catalyst 
to make this happen, to see this growth happen, to see the underserved areas of the cities grow by giving them an alternative to running a wire in their building. That's my perception. Now, I have a bunch of resources in there from IEEE, from 5G Americas, from 4G Americas. I have stuff in there, documents you can get, and I, I hope you appreciate it. I'm just trying to help, really. And again, scope of work training, I have that out there. I want you to remember that the Hubble Foundation, Hubble, H-U-B-B-L-E, foundation.org, is there to help the families of the climbers with scholarships and money in time of need. And we also have the Tower Family Foundation, TowerFamilyFoundation.org, the Tower Family Foundation that also supports the towers, the families of tower climbers in a time of crisis. As a public service note, tower climbers do die every year doing their job. They fall off towers, they get hurt, they get electrocuted, they have health problems, they, they get in car accidents, they just things even like bee stings can really be detrimental when you're up on a tower, especially if you come upon a nest of hornets where they just sting you over and over and over again and you're 200 feet up. It's a real problem. Even if you're 50 feet up, it's a real problem. Guys fall, guys get hurt, towers collapse, equipment fails, and sometimes you have user error. It happens. I don't want to blame. I just want to help these families because chances are, even if the climber wasn't the only breadwinner in the family. It was probably bringing in a, a, a very large amount of the income for that particular household, and they need help. They need to get through this. And you got to remember, not only is he hurt and he loses his income, because trust me, if you don't get the job done, you don't get paid. Even if you're an independent contractor and you get hurt, you lost the time you were there and you get nothing. It's happened. I hear the stories. I talk to people. That's a reality. And suddenly they're in the hospital, they have bills to pay, and they have other bills to pay that they've had, but they also have medical bills. It piles up. It's a horrible thing. I want you guys to realize that the Tower Family Foundation, towerfamilyfoundation.org, and the Hubble Foundation, hubblefoundation.org, are there to help these people. All right, I've run long. Be smart, be safe, and pay attention. See ya!